Our um, gospel passage this morning comes from Mark 10, verses 35 through 45. Hear the word of God. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Well, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus answered. They said, allow one of us to sit on your right and the other on your left when you enter your glory. Jesus replied, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or receive the baptism I receive? We can, they answered. And Jesus said, you will drink the cup I drink and receive the baptism I receive, but to sit at my right or my left hand, it isn't mine to give. It belongs to those for whom it's already been prepared. Now when the other ten disciples heard about this, they became angry with James and John, and Jesus called them all over and said, you know that the ones who are considered the rulers by the Gentiles, they show off their authority over them, and their high-ranking officials order them around. But that's not the way it'll be with you. Whoever wants to be great among you will be a servant, and whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave of all. For the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life to liberate many. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. This is a very special Sunday at the United Methodist Church in Madison. Today we welcome four new members into the life of our community and in a few weeks we will invite two more into membership. Friends, we are so excited to welcome you this morning. We're so excited that you are becoming a part of our church family. Membership is an important event in the life of the church, so much so that as we spoke about already, we actually take vows to each other to care for one another. Just as these families offered vows to us this morning for their, to offer their prayers, their presence, their gifts, their witness, and their service, we as a church community make the same vow to them. This morning as a church community, as laity, as people who make up this body of faith, we commit to investing in you, to supporting and loving you, to serve you. Now, I still remember the first time I made a conscious decision to join the church. I was 14 years old. It was a little Wesleyan church in Buffalo, New York, and I began attending when my parents decided that they were going to file for divorce. I think I was looking for hope, for some kind of assurance that things were going to be all right, maybe even return to normal that my life was headed in a positive direction, that I was going to be a better and stronger person for being a part of this community. I was looking for a community, certainly, that wouldn't disappoint me in the same ways that my immediate family was disappointing me. And probably more than anything, I was looking for answers from God. Now, as a pastor, I've had the distinct opportunity to ask countless people why they make a decision to join a church, and often their answers are not that dissimilar from my own. They focus around what they hope the church community will be able to offer, 
how the church community will be able to enrich their lives in some ways, give them a sense of purpose or belonging, a loving community, direction for their kids, opportunities to serve, the reassurance that our lives will be better for showing up on Sunday mornings, a sense of centering so that we can get through our chaotic weeks and schedules. These are all good things that any church that seeks to be faithful strives to offer its members. And for me, the church was a place where I did encounter some of these things and the love of God through the people that were there and the spaces that were made for me and the opportunities that were given. But it didn't always serve me in the ways that I wanted it to. I didn't always get the answers I needed. I guess I did find hope as a teenager, but it certainly didn't show up in the ways I wanted it to, in the reconciliation of my parents. I didn't, and I still don't, often find the reassurance I need that everything is going to turn out all right in the future. In fact, the more time I spend in the church, the less I become certain about any number of things. From time to time, the church and its people disappoint me. Sometimes I disappoint me in this community. And I have to wrestle with the question, what is the purpose of being a part of this thing called church, even when it doesn't meet all of my hopes and expectations for it? It's a question all of us who commit to any community, but especially membership in a church, will have to ask ourselves from time to time. What, if anything, is the purpose of being a part of this community even when it doesn't offer us its best. When we fail to keep our vows to each other. When being a part of this church community doesn't appear to be most advantageous to us. When it doesn't meet all of our hopes and dreams and expectations, because I have to tell you, it probably won't. You'll be hard-pressed to find a community that will meet all your hopes and dreams and expectations. As I read our text for this morning, I wondered if this is a question the disciples were also forced to ask of themselves. This group of young men who started following Jesus and formed a new community of faith when they weren't much older than I was when I joined the church, and some of you who are sitting here in the room. A good number of people who write commentaries on this passage, they get kind of a chuckle out of the disciples' behavior. They characterize the disciples as being particularly brazen, almost comedically idiotic, especially self-serving. When they come to Jesus and they ask him to do whatever they want, and then they ask him for the seats of honor at his table when Jesus reaches his glory. And I suppose you could say that their behavior was this way. They weren't being particularly sensitive to the situation Jesus was in. He had just told them for the third time that he was going to die. They were on their way to Jerusalem, and here they all were fighting over who would receive the very best Jesus had to offer in the end. And this isn't a foreign concept to us, the idea that humans could be so concerned with the self, often to our detriment. We live in a world that trains us to think and make decisions based on what's most advantageous to us at the time, whether it's in politics or economics or our social relationships or our family dynamics, you name it. It's the conventional wisdom of the world to make decisions based on what's advantageous 
to us. We could probably look back over the last 24 to 48 hours to the decisions that we made, from where we parked our car in the store parking lot, to where we send our kids to school, to who we're voting for, and we can see that what works to our advantage plays a pretty big factor in the decisions we all make. But I wonder if, much like you and me, the disciples, as they began to be involved in this new community, had to wrestle with the question, what is the purpose of this community, of following Jesus, even when it isn't particularly advantageous to us? Because if you look back, at the disciples' journey with Jesus up to this point in the Gospel of Mark, it is not easy. Jesus calls the disciples to leave their jobs and to follow him, and since they are struggling as fairly poor fishermen who sit at the bottom of every social, political, and economic ladder, they go. We know that from first century sources that many fishermen, their livelihood was being destroyed because the empire they lived under began commercializing the fishing industry in places that were often used for local fishing businesses, and it was destroying their livelihoods. It was putting their whole families in economic distress. And so when the disciples walked with Jesus and started seeing Jesus do all these amazing things, saving people and offering a better life to folks and promising a new type of kingdom, a kingdom that's different from the kingdom they were suffering under, they go. And they go hoping that Jesus will finally be able to offer them all of the advantage that conventional wisdom of the world taught them was important. But as they move further down this road with Jesus, as they commit themselves deeper and deeper to this community of faith that Jesus was forming, life just gets harder. Their friend John the Baptist gets killed. Religious and political leaders crack down on Jesus, putting them all in danger. The crowds begin to wear them down. In Mark, the disciples not only have to feed 5,000 folks, which they're less than thrilled about, but then another 4,000 folks, and they're accosted by many more. There's so much need in the community that, that they can hardly put a dent in it. There's bickering in the community as stress heats up. Jesus starts predicting his death. This guy that told them there was going to be this kingdom that he was starting, he starts predicting his death, not one, not two, but on three different occasions. And in the text right before this one this morning, Jesus approaches a rich man and says that he won't receive the kingdom unless he gives up everything he has. And the disciple Peter shouts out, Jesus, look, we've given up everything and we've followed you. It's almost as though you can hear Peter saying, hello, we've done it. Where's this kingdom you're talking about, Jesus? It kind of seems like we're headed in the opposite direction. When, when the disciples ask Jesus for his right and his left, for cabinet positions in an alternative kingdom, they have this particular idea of what they need, this kingdom, this community to offer them. Perhaps, like us, the disciples think it should lead them to somewhere good. It should offer solutions to the chaos of their world. It should make their lives easier. It should spare them from further suffering. It should elevate them in status and in power. But it doesn't. It doesn't make them rich. 
It doesn't advance their social mobility. It doesn't ensure that the community of faith will remain untouched by pain or grief or the realities of human weakness and sin. It doesn't promise that they'll find a solution for every social ill of, that plagues their world. And ultimately, it doesn't actually keep their collective world from crumbling into pieces one day. Jesus, at the end of the passage we read for this morning, responds to their request for advantage and status by hinting that they would all continue to endure disappointment and suffering, even as a part of this community. So why commit themselves to it? I think especially of the difficult circumstances that our church is in right now in contemporary times, the church as a whole, and also the United Methodist Church. This is a time of major cultural upheaval and change. In our own denomination, maybe some of you have read, we're struggling with conversations about what to do with human sexuality. For many of us, the fact that we've been wrestling with this issue for over 50 years is incredibly disappointing. And at this time in the life of our church, I have had to wrestle with the question, why would anyone commit to faith communities now. And it's not just that issue, pick an issue. The church struggles with them all. Well, Jesus finishes out these verses by giving his disciples a directive. He says this, whoever wants to be great among you will be a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave of all, for the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life to liberate many. See, in these verses, Jesus is giving us an idea of what the community of faith he is organizing is really supposed to be about, what the advantage of that community is. The community Jesus was tempting to build was radically different from the community and the world that the disciples lived in. Its priorities were different. For Jesus, he believed that the divine was up to something in the world, but it was counterintuitive to the conventional wisdom that prioritized greed and power and authority and exclusion and self-advantage. The kingdom of God, Jesus didn't think the kingdom of God could be found where people fought for the top and where they made decisions based on what was most advantageous to them or constructed their identities around political party lines or the job titles they carried or the social status they were able to achieve. He didn't think the kingdom of God could be found by committing only to relationships that would give them everything they wanted and needed. Jesus' primary agenda wasn't about individual advantage. For him, it was about standing in solidarity with anyone, anywhere, ever, who has ever been pushed to the margins for the sake of someone else's advantage. Jesus' community stood outside the typical ways of the world that the disciples were taught to live in. It upheld a different set of values. It prioritized not the self, but the other, especially those who were most ignored and most disenfranchised and always found themselves at the bottom. Jesus knew that when we commit ourselves to face each other, and work not for our individual flourishing, but for the flourishing of the whole, that is where real freedom and liberation can actually be found. 
For Jesus, the purpose of this faith community, it was about bringing people together in their flawedness, in their suffering, in their weaknesses, in the imperfectness of the world, in the pain they cause each other, and encourage them to give themselves to each other anyways, to choose to encounter each other, to serve each other, to make it their aim to do right by each other, even when it's difficult, and even when it left them at a distinct disadvantage. Jesus knew that wherever the messiness of human life was being lived out in a way that prioritized the other instead of the self, however imperfectly, new possibilities for a different type of kingdom were bound to emerge. When we are willing to become a part of a faith community, to take a risk and put our lives in the hands of another person and work for their good instead of our own, no matter where it might lead, God will always show up and will always transform all of us in ways that we can hardly begin to imagine or measure. Jesus knew this so deep in his bones that he was willing to die for it, and the impact that it had on the world was enormous. And so I wonder what would happen if each of us in our own membership vows, committed to taking this as seriously? What would become of us if we were so convinced that the call of this community is to become so radically different from the self-serving and self-seeking culture all around us that it transformed everything from our expectations of each other to our commitments to who we choose to stand in solidarity with and in our ministries to the whole world? What if we believed that when we bring people together in all of their weakness and humanness and flawedness, that that's where the Spirit of God actually seeks to take root and show up and do something new. If we believe that, would we be more honest about who we are and what our failings are? Would we make space for people's imperfections? Would we try new things as a community without failing and welcome transformation in What new thing of God, what part of the kingdom would emerge if we aligned our mission, our task as a community, not to what's most advantageous for us, not to what will make us feel good personally, not to what will make us grow our numbers or put us on top as an organization, but what if we aligned our mission to stand for and serve others in ways that will help them discover their place in the kingdom of God that is still being attempted to be brought about. The purpose of the church has never been to meet every expectation we have of it because it isn't about us. The church is supposed to be an alternative space, a place where all people can find the radical love of God because of the commitment we make as laity to follow in the way of Jesus and to make ourselves servants first, just as Jesus did. That is the task, my friends, of each and every one of us here this morning. And so new friends, we welcome you so much today. We cannot promise that we will never disappoint you. We won't pretend that you're gonna find all your answers here. We can't say that this community or even God will spare you from frustration and hardship and pain in life, some of which we will probably cause. But I do know this, that when we commit ourselves again and again to each other, as you have modeled for us today, the Spirit of God will meet us in this place 
and we will begin to see the kingdom that Jesus spoke about actually take shape. Let us pray together. God, we come before you in all of our humanness, in all of our flaws, in all of the ways that we struggle to live out this faith in the world. We come before you this morning, God, and we pray that even still, your spirit of love and light and grace would pour out on this place and on these people and that you would make it holy. God, we ask that in this space and with these people and in this time, you would help us to continue to work toward being faithful, to being your servants in the world, to thinking about the ways that you are calling this community to be in service to each other, to the communities around us, to the painful circumstances which ail our world. God, we ask for your wisdom and your guidance and your clarity, and more than anything, we ask for your courage to make us servants as we follow in the way of Jesus. We pray all these things in your name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.